0: Welcome to Pop Culture Happy Hour. I'm Linda Holmes.
1: And I'm Stephen Thompson. The film The Florida Project comes from writer-director Sean Baker, whose last feature was the critically praised Tangerine, which he famously shot on an iPhone.
0: He didn't shoot The Florida Project on an iPhone, but it still has a loose and lived-in feel. It follows a six-year-old girl named Mooney who lives in a motel near Walt Disney World.
1: Mooney and her friends wander and play and get in trouble while her mother Haley tries to keep her life from falling completely apart. Willem Dafoe is by far the best-known actor in the film. He plays the manager of the motel. He steps in at different times as a sort of cop, a landlord, and an uncle. It's only the second week of the summer and there's already been a
0: dead fish in the pool.
1: We were doing an experiment. We were trying to get it back alive.
0: On this episode of Pop Culture Happy Hour, we're talking about the small-scale but memorable and wonderful film, The Florida Project. Also with us in Historic Studio 44 is Glenn Weldon from the NPR Arts Desk. Hi, Glenn. Hey, Linda. And in our fourth chair from NPR's Code Switch team, Gene Demby. Hey, Gene. Hey, homie. So uh, the first thing I want to do, I want to go to Glenn first. Mm -hmm. Glenn, what did you think of The Florida Project?
2: Well, on paper, this movie isn't for Glenn's. I mean, you could (laughs) theoretically, if you've only just heard about this film distantly, you might think, I know what this is. This is poverty porn. And when you hear that it's largely told from the point of view of a six-year-old child, uh, I'm out uh, because I know. she's going to be adorable and plucky. Nope. Nope to all of that. And this film, as you say, lived in loose. This film is a testament to how much it matters when the calls are coming from inside the house. <laughs> when you feel like there's not a dramatist at work trying to structure something to make us feel the implications of moral ambiguity, but just telling a very human story. People make bad choices. The kids are little jerks. Uh, yeah. Let's use the word jerk. I was going to use a different Some one. Some of the time, but, yeah. yeah.
0: Not all the time. Yeah,
2: but... And, The idea of setting this thing in the shadow, literal and figurative, of the Magic Kingdom, of Disney World, is so smart. Because you take this little look at a childhood compared to this manufactured, marketed, sanitized, corporate idea of childhood. It's just fantastic. Now, what it did do for me is whenever they would go out and play, you know, uh, in the kind of woods or swampy areas back there, I would get gator fear. Because, I mean, (laughs) I I thought at every moment this film was going to take a turn for the worse. But we'll talk a lot about it. And it's so weird to see Willem Dafoe in this avuncular position. It's something Mm -hmm. I've never seen him do
3: before. So, yeah, I really dug it.
0: Yeah. How about you, Gene? What do you think?
3: I totally agree with Glenn. There were a few times in this movie when I thought it was going to go in a different direction. There's one time fairly early on when we see a couple who had let their travel arrangements get screwed up. And they think they're staying at Walt Disney World, at, like, the Magic Kingdom. Yeah. They're actually (laughs) staying at this place called the Magic Castle, which is this motel (laughs) on the side of the road. $38 a night. Yeah. Yeah. And for some reason, I thought the movie was about to become about them, right? Because I think I can imagine a more conventional movie being like, Mm -hmm. okay, so what happens when these people who are not part of this ecosystem come into it? These much more money people come into it. And like, oh, Um, it stayed away from doing a lot of stuff that I thought it was going to do. In fact, one of the things that I can't stop thinking about regarding this movie was how the mother, Haley, is it turns really monstrous i mean she makes some decisions like mm-hmm. yo but also like i wanted to give her a hug the whole time like there was, like she was making decisions that were bad decisions but they were also like the least bad decisions available to her Right? right. The, like she had yeah. she didn't have very good options like you kept saying like oh man if this woman had a therapist she wouldn't do this like you know she's, she clearly had anger management issues but like you look at her like yo she arrived at this really
0: honestly Like and she's, you know, and she's very resourceful absolutely she's not one of the things that I really liked about it which is something Jean that you and I have sometimes talked about is that people often really underestimate mm-hmm. how resourceful and inventive you have to be to live as a person who's poor the that's right. And I think there are a lot of of moments in this film that really recognize how much she's not just sitting around not doing anything. Right. She's making a lot of bad choices, but she's there's hustle in her. She's trying to figure out like, you know, can I go and sell XYZ? Mm-hmm. And there are moments when she's kind of taking advantage of the fact that they live in this Disney World kind mm-hmm. of shadow economy and Disney World for her largely exists as, you know, potential Business opportunities, almost, but right. not in the conventional sense. What do you think, Stephen?
1: Yeah, I, I think you know Willem Dafoe has gotten so much attention for this performance, and I do think he's wonderful in the film. I am surprised that he's the only actor in this movie who's really getting a lot of awards mm-hmm, run because, yeah. to me, Bria Venetia as Haley, as the mom is so good. Mm -hmm. And I was immediately, like, I was was looking at her, like, A, thinking, like, where have I seen her before? And then thinking, like, no, I don't think I've ever seen her anywhere before. She was cast for this movie as an Instagram model. He found her
0: on Instagram, Mm -hmm.
1: yeah. Yeah, that he found her on Instagram, those are her real tattoos. Mm -hmm. And she is... So good, and this is such a rich portrayal—a certain kind of poor person. A somebody who has to hustle, but be someone who's never really been trained how to be an adult. And so you see, and I grew up alongside a lot of people like this, where it's this mix of you're forced into difficult circumstances by poverty, but at the same time you are often, when presented with an array of options, you will pick the worst option. Mm-hmm. It's baffling and frustrating because you you can love this person and be constantly frustrated by decisions they make. Yeah. She is such a rich character, performed, I think, beautifully.
0: Yeah, Definitely. and I think, I think when you talk about how the awards recognition is, you know, a lot of the awards talk has been about Willem Dafoe, I think you get... Hollywood is good at recognizing either people who are, you know, known actors, mm-hmm. people or people who have are new actors, but have kind of come up in a conventional way or small children. Yep. As happened with Quvenzhané Wallace around Beasts of the Southern Wild. But I think when you have someone who is not from acting. Right. But is an adult is just a person with a different background. I think people are a little bit slower to recognize that it's real acting yeah, and right. and that she is finding something in this character that is very special. And mm-hmm. I love the fact that this world of this motel is so Built and and its logistics are so well understood. There's a sequence that I really really love where they have to leave yes, for a 90, night. Yes, I to talk about this, and mm-hmm. it's like you realize, and this is also is really important to the Willem Dafoe character and who he is. That on the one hand he cares about these people, he is something of a, a parental figure to these kids who run around. At the same time, he's also the one who has to enforce that I guess it's every thirty days or something like that, you have to leave for a night and they have to take pictures of the room with you not in it because they can't let you establish tenancy mm-hmm. and therefore have tenants you know, rights that tenants have. <laughs> right. And it's it's the kind of thing I don't think I've ever seen anything like that I mean, I in a film before.
1: He's got another scene, one that just chilled me to my core, where the kids, the kids are just running wild this entire movie. And there's a scene where the kids are just kind of out milling around and a very creepy guy comes up and is pretty clearly a child predator of some kind. And the Willem Dafoe character has to come in and, you know, he is a protector to these kids. But at the same time, that scene resolves itself in such an incomplete and unsatisfying way that lets you know how incredibly tenuous Mm -hmm. the safety of people in this environment is. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, the looseness of this film is something that you also see in his previous film, Tangerine. But it is so important to how this film lands on you. So let's just take an example of if... The only conflict the character of Haley got into was with this middle-aged white guy that involves some Disney passes. That was the only one. You'd get, okay, this is about class. This is about poor white people and middle-class white people. But it's important, it's nuanced, that she also gets into conflict with the East Asian owners of the hotel uh, across the street. The tourists who come in, this is important, are Hispanic. Mm -hmm. They're not just like rich, white tourists. Mm -hmm. So what's that doing? It's creating this world. It's making it seem more realistic, more nuanced, more rounded in Mm -hmm. in a really smart way. That means that some things aren't as tidy. This is
3: not a schematic film like Mm -hmm. some others we could talk about, but this feels loose. Uh, alive in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there's the scene, and I, don't, I guess we can't give give away too much. But the woman who is basically Haley's best friend. Yeah. And her have this falling out because their kids get into some trouble yeah. together, and it's clear that Mooney, Haley's daughter, and her her best friend, her like partner in crime, uh, Scooty, they get into some trouble, and clearly this causes like this rift that only happens because they're everything is so precarious for them. Mm-hmm. The the woman, uh, Scooty's mom, is basically like, I can't hang out with you. Yeah. Right. Because. If my child gets in trouble for this, I might have my child taken away from me. Our lives are going to be disrupted. Yeah. And so, when they have this falling out, you can see oh, you can see like Haley's reaction is both like really antagonistic because she doesn't know what else to do. Where oh. she antagonizes the woman who was her best friend. We just see them mm-hmm. kicking it the whole movie, mm-hmm. like um, and you know her best friend is giving them the kids food because she works at I think Waffle House. Yeah. Um, she's sneaking them food. Um, and suddenly they're enemies, and not for any other reason than like. Haley is hurt. Like, her feelings are hurt, right? right? Mm-hmm. But everyone is making decisions that make sense. Like, it makes complete sense that you would cut yourself off from yeah. someone who like who endangers the little stability you've carved out for yourself. Yeah. yeah. And
0: I think one of the things that you're all hitting on that I really felt was that so much of the, what felt like the importance of the story, not in a kind of cinematically important, but a personally important way comes from the fact that everything is, as you're saying, so precarious for them and they are in, they are constantly struggling just to be safe Mm -hmm. and to be able to eat and that is something that You don't see a lot of films where you have both that, but you also have people who have a ton of personality and their kids have a ton of personality. And Brooklyn Prince, who plays Mooney, Mm -hmm. gives this kid such a complicated inner self, right, where she's. She is a jerk some of the time, but she's also just a little kid. And so you see in certain places the patterns that she's picking up from her mom about resourcefulness and about exploring the limits of what you can just go up and ask people for. And, you know, that if you want something, you just figure out a way to get it. And Mm -hmm. if you want to do something, you just figure out a way to do it. And she's becoming both a very resourceful kid and an incredibly imperiled kid because of all these different Factors And there's one of the scenes that I think is interesting is the very early in the movie, you have a moment where you think it's going to be more about this other girl who is going to come and like hang out with uh-huh. Mooney and Scooty. The woman who's taking care of her is a different kind of caretaker uh-huh. of kids, is much more kind of from the beginning, more pragmatic and more, like, willing to set expectations. And it's clear that something about her life has been different, and it's mm-hmm. not clear what it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it may just
1: be a matter of, of upbringing. It's it's interesting. I, I saw a critique of this movie that was really fixated on the fact that it is not uh, what you would call plot forward. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think that that's it is, true. That it, is, that it is very much a, a, a slice of life more than uh, having, like, a really, really clear story exactly what it does have is this sense of consequences closing in Mm -hmm. right and so it ratchets up real tension and real concern as this very as you said linda precarious existence is being threatened more and more and more and you realize like can they continue like this Mm -hmm. that provides an enormous amount of tension in this film. Yeah, yeah.
2: there's um, not a lot of apparent artifice in this film, which means that behind the scenes there's a hell of a lot. Because to make it seem as loose as this, there is a tremendous amount of work that has to go into it, especially when you're dealing with non-professional actors. They can be great, but you still need to get them all on the same page, existing in the same film, so that it feels like we're this is a world, a cohesive world. I have seen interviews with Brooklyn Prince, who plays the six-year-old Mooney, and she is just, you can't get this kid to focus for more than 30 seconds. So the idea <laughs> that you make an entire film with her, and she's great, but there's just... I, I don't want people to think that Sean Baker just pointed the camera and let these people right. oh, go. Oh, no. Yeah. There, There is so Far much work. There is so much careful attention to detail that's being done here to make it seem like it's exactly that a slice of life. Well, and I think that
1: maybe why, like, Bria Venetia is not getting the awards run that she should be getting, is the film feels... Documentary like Mm -hmm. it feels like it's
0: just her, and it feels
1: like oh that must be her. Well, I saw an interview with her. I don't remember where. Where she's just an incredibly charming and poised and delightful person.
3: Mm -hmm. That is a terrific performance. Absolutely. There's a scene uh, in which I think it's the the little girl you're talking about Mm -hmm. who's the red-haired kid, Mm -hmm. and it's their birthday, and they take you don't know where they're going. They take this like long trek, you know, basically hitchhike out to God knows where, and it turns out like they're just having a little quiet birthday celebration with like I think like a hostess cake and a candle outside of the perimeter of Disney World so you see the fireworks which happen every night at Disney World Yeah, I mean that was probably the most didactic the movie guess is like mm-hmm. look they're they're outside of this yeah. but it was also really really affecting because you're like oh wow these people are in the shadow of this place yeah. um, and these are the lengths to which this woman would go right to just give her daughter this like small little piece of yeah. like of like childhood joy. Mm
1: -hmm. And you've got the the helicopters constantly (laughs) taking off and landing and just giving it, first of all, the sense of, again, that documentary feel, but also just that sense of, like, escape is there for some of these people Mm -hmm. at all times. Like, people are constantly jetting away from this place. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: And I think when you talk about the structure of it and when you talk about the fact that it doesn't have, and I agree, it does not have a conventional plot structure at all but I think what it has is a feeling that for a long time you feel like nothing is really happening you're just very very close to the edge nothing's happening nothing's happening nothing's happening and then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. everything is falling apart at the same time and I think that's How it feels to be a person in that situation more than like first one thing happened and it was a logical step from here to another place. She keeps kind of getting out of scrapes. The mom keeps kind of getting out of scrapes Mm -hmm. and then kind of all of a sudden it's too much and there's too much happening. And I think it's true to that experience to present it that way, and I did want to mention one of the things that somebody mentioned to me on Twitter, and they mentioned it after we talked about Itanya last week, mm-hmm. and I had expressed, you know, my sense that I think the Florida Project is a better movie about class than Itanya is, and you know, she had said to me. My problem with the Florida Project is that Willem Dafoe is more this kind of middle class sensibility that kind of always knows better than than the mom does, which I think I understand seeing it that way. Mm. The reason it didn't strike me that way is, first of all, I'm not sure how middle class he would really be Mm, if his job was managing this motel. But I do think he does know a little more than she does. But I think it's really just because he's older Mm -hmm. and he's had, I think, probably an easier existence than she has. And he still, as we talked about, he still is the one who has to go kick them out, which doesn't make him very likable. And there are plenty of decisions in this film where you can look at what he's doing and saying. say he certainly thinks... That he is doing something right. He certainly thinks he's doing a good thing, mm-hmm. but I don't know if he actually is. Well,
2: that scene where he's with his boss and the boss is kind of going through and saying, you need to tell them to do this, this and this. That's there for a reason. That's, mm-hmm. that's to, to make mm-hmm. him seem more closer to her yeah. than to the boss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: He's still answering to, yeah. you know, somebody else who's kind of always on him about. His situation, right? He still has to keep his job. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just, I think Sean Baker is such an interesting, empathetic,
1: empathetic, really
0: filmmaker. Good. Mm-hmm.
1: He also used to work on Greg the Greg bunny. the Bunny, it's and there's the like there's a little Greg the Bunny gag, like in the back, if you know that he worked on Greg the Bunny, that it's on a TV screen. Oh, Aww.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think, and for if you haven't seen Tangerine, I would say also see Tangerine. It's also a really spectacular and in some ways thematically related mm-hmm. film. But anyway, so uh, we do encourage you to seek out the Florida Project. Tell us what you think. Find us on Facebook at Facebook dot com slash PCHH or tweet us at PCHH. Before we go, we wanted to address uh, some sad news that Dolores Aroden, the voice of the Irish band, the Cranberries died suddenly at only 46 on Monday. And among many other credits, she performed with the Cranberries at NPR's Tiny Desk in 2012. Stephen, I know that you wanted to say a little bit about her.
1: Yeah, it's incredibly sad. Among other things, just... How many of the best and most indelible voices of m- music in the '90s have died already? Yeah. But that particular band, I don't think, always got enough credit for being. There's this incredibly distinct voice on the radio at a, at a time when there was a lot of monochromatic music. Uh, she had just this this very forceful and powerful and beautiful and vulnerable and a little bit weird mm-hmm. voice, and and and. I don't even think I necessarily realized how much I liked this band until they came to the office and did a Tiny Desk yeah. concert in 2012. Okay. And I just was so struck. You know, I sent a- I sent out the notes, you know, around the building, like, hey, this Tiny Desk concert is happening. And I just thought, like, that's the Cranberries. Isn't that weird? You know, they had a bunch of hits a long time ago. I like them. And, like, hundreds of people came and were lipped out for this band. I think Mm -hmm. so many more people love this band Mm -hmm. than I think the general consensus realizes. Mm. They were so enormously charming and gracious and kind. I think her public image could be a little bit distant, but she could not have been warmer or more fun to work with when they were in the office. I so highly... Recommend Revisiting their Tiny Desk concert If you haven't already For one thing They play five songs They usually play, you know, Bands will usually come And play three But they were just So embraced In the mm-hmm. moment That people just wanted them To keep playing Yeah
0: One of the things I love about that Tiny Desk Is that When you listen to it They were so I love it when people come I have respect for people who don't want to come and play the hits, but I have such respect for people who come. They know that people love them and want to hear Linger, (laughs) so they start with that. And it is the same song, and it sounds the same, and it's not massively different, but it is different. And I feel like what you get in this acoustic kind of retelling of that song Mm -hmm. Is what you identified as a slight weirdness in her voice is more forward. It's Mm -hmm. it's a little bit more weirdness forward. It's a little bit more (laughs) oddity forward, and I think a really wonderful way. And you get more of the influences of Irish music and Irish singers, that influence on her and on that band in that tiny desk, than I think you would in just hearing it as a ubiquitous pop hit.
1: Me around your linger uh, 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 you have to
0: But I will say, I think that band is a great example of where ubiquitous pop hits, when you go back and listen to them much later, you find yourself saying like, Oh, no, that's still a really good song. Oh, my God. Like, that's a really good pop song still.
1: Well, and when you think of a lot of, I guess you would say, Irish imbued pop music, often you think of this ethereal quality. And there is an ethereal quality to a lot of the Cranberries music. But you take a song like Zombie. Mm -hmm. That is a jam. Like, Mm -hmm. that is a rock song. That has this amazing just belt to it. Like, there was sinew to those songs in addition to that kind of dreamy quality.
0: Yeah. Stephen. And that brings us to the end of our show. You can follow Gene Demby at G E E D E E 215. We will be back on Friday to talk about Amazon's now award winning comedy, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Until then, if you have a second and you're so inclined, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more folks to find the show. And we will see you all back here on Friday. Hey, it's Maria Hinojosa, host of NPR's Latino USA, the podcast that takes you inside the Latino conversation. Each week, we'll take you into one story that will fascinate and often surprise you. Listen to Latino USA on the NPR One app or wherever you listen to podcasts.